This morning, I, I, I don't know if you've ever had those uh, days when you go to bed and that you can't sleep. Uh, last night was my night. I mean, I have not, I talked to my wife this morning, not one hour, not, not a minute. Went to bed like normal, laid there wide awake. Finally, about two o'clock, I got up and she said, can I help you? And I, I said, no, I, I'm wide awake, I can't sleep. And she said, well, thank you, neither can I. And <clears throat> so... I, I, uh, I said, I'm not, why stay here? So I grabbed my pillow and went somewhere else and wide, wide awake all night long. Just one of those nights. So if I fall asleep during the sermon, I don't, don't blame that on me. But I will say this. So what I did during that time, two things. One, I was thinking about my sermon. Number two, I was praying for you. And as I share the sermon, let me tell you right up front, I have had a certain point in my sermon notes as I was reviewing them that I have this distinct sense from God that this sermon in this moment is for someone here. I don't know who. Uh, God didn't give me a name or a face, uh, but that clearly there is a moment in the sermon that I think God has prepared me for this moment and he's brought you for this moment. I don't know who you are, but I have that sense that God wants to do something very specific for one, two, or a number of us this morning. So let's jump in. Anyone who has lived life long enough to get into adulthood, if you stop and think about it, would tell you that life is actually a non-ending series of turning points and transitions. Anyone will tell you that if they think about it. Now, the truth of it is we don't think about it, but do that right now, and I think you'll agree that life is just that. Life is a non-ending string of turning points and transitions, uh, and that's really what it is. There's just no question about it. Now, some of those transitions in life are subtle. Some are not. Some are very abrupt. Many of them are subtle. For most of us, we just go through life, and it's just this subtlety of constant transition. I'll use an infant for an example. So we have a new a grandson in our family. Jack was born in, in, uh, in November. And, you know, he came home. He's so tiny. He's so little, laying in his bassinet. We've been gone for two weeks at a conference. Don't hate me because it happened to be south. But, I mean, who goes north for a conference in, in February? So we've been gone two weeks. We came back. And when I come back, you know, Diane says, hey, take the bassinet, put it away. And it's like, well, why? Well, because it's been like a month and Jack doesn't sleep it anymore because he's too big. And you, we see him and we go, when did that happen? Because, you know, if you look at a baby day to day, you know, one week later, no difference, day to day, but a couple of weeks, yep, you look at your kids' school pictures through the years, and you know, you don't see the change during the year, but all of a sudden, you look come this year to the last, you go, oh man, see, subtle changes that happen all along the way. Speaking of subtle changes, on the day of my son's wedding, just before he, my, he's going to usher my wife down to her chair, he leans over to her and he says, hey, mom, just think about this. One day you were holding me and then you set me down and you never picked me up again. How brutal that is. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just before she's going she's gonna to go sit down. That's just cruel. I was so angry about that for so long, but I'm not now. You know why? Because he has children. Oh, yeah, it comes around. So parents, just relax. Don't worry about it. It all comes around. But that's that subtlety. I mean, just think about that. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but, you know, your kid, you set them down with it and they pick them up. When that happen? Subtle. But some transitions are not so subtle. Some transitions happen, and they're, they're quite honestly um, startling. Like when a doctor calls and says, we have the results back. When a spouse says, I think I'm done. Uh, I'm out. I'm done being married. 
Um, as I shared with you four weeks ago now, uh, my wife's good friend from high school and from church that she grew up in, they've kept close through the years, lets Diane know, I said, hey, we just bought our dream house, my husband and I, and he's on his way home and in a car accident. We found out afterwards some black ice, black ice, and just like that, he's gone. Just like that, there's a transition. And see, some of you, I mean, we can relate to both, Right? You can relate to the subtle transitions, and all of us have had moments in our lives where we can relate to those very quick transitions, not so subtle. Now, in the title, I also use the term turning points and transitions. You see, not all transitions are turning points, but some of them should be, and some of them could be, because a lot of transitions in our lives that if we could just see God in the moment, it would be a turning point and very key turning points in our lives. So I want to talk about those, those two things, transition and turning points this morning. And specifically, I want to do that as we look at someone, a character from the Bible. His name is Moses. I would say of all the characters in the Bible, there are two names that stand out that the world in general knows the names of two people. Jesus is one, Moses is the other. Those are two key names that the world recognizes. Now, Moses had some huge hallmark moments in his life, turning points, transitions, how we going to call them. He had some huge moments. I mean, standing in front of the Pharaoh in Egypt and the plagues coming over Egypt, leading Israel out of Egypt, taking them to the Red Sea, and then facing the fact that you got an army behind you wanting to kill you, and there you stand with a sea in front of you, nowhere to go. Ten Commandment moments, standing on the mountain with God. He has some incredible moments. Someone has said, someone had, one of the things I was reading said that uh, if you look at Moses' life, he had eight key turning point moments in his life. I don't know if that's true. I didn't go research it, but it's probably true. Maybe more, at least eight key moments in his life. And today I want us to look at just one of those moments, what I, I believe is probably one of the key turning point moments, if you will. Now, very quickly, what's a turning point? A turning point moment. A, a turning point moment is a moment in our lives where something happens in such a way that it causes us to change direction. It might be literally direction and a path. You might be following a career path. You have a turning point where you go down a different career path. But it might be an attitude, a heart change. Something happens in your life where you find yourself going not this way, but this way. A change has to happen. Turning point moment. Now, as we get started, I want you to realize, we're going to look at Moses. I want you to realize that you are not unlike Moses. A lot of similarities. And some of you are thinking, well, now, time out. You know, I have not led millions of people. I've, I can't part a mud puddle, let alone part the Red Sea. So you're trying to see the similarity. And I get it. But I would say this to you. If you've ever lost a job, got a job, ever had a new baby, ever got married, ever went through a divorce, ever had a dream not come true, ever have a dream come true, and then have it turn bad and not come true again, any of those things, you're just like Moses. And so you can relate to him. He relates to us. Now, as I said, Moses had a, some prolific moments, but the one that stands out is one that we can't, we can't afford to miss because it has incredible truths from us. But what's interesting about it, it's not some of the moments that sometimes we think we know his story. It's not his moment standing between Pharaoh. It's not his moment standing at the Red Sea. No. In fact, what's interesting, the moment that we need to look at is a moment where it's just another day in his life. It's just another day. It's not one of these big profound things where he's standing in front of millions of people leading them or challenging Pharaoh. This is just a day where he's just himself. He's another day at work, by himself, no crowds, nobody watching on. A day where he's in the middle of nowhere just doing the same thing that he has done a thousand times before. Just like us. 
We do the same things over and over and over again. I want to tell you right now, be prepared because God is ever present even in your routine. And in this moment, God shows up in a way that is a turning point for him. Now, quick background. So Moses grows up. He's a Jewish boy. Don't forget the Jews, the Israeli people, are all in bondage in Egypt. They're slaves. They've been slaves for 400 years. He's a Jewish boy, but along the way, he gets adopted into the, the, as an adopted son into Pharaoh's palace. So he's a Jewish boy, but he grows up in the palace. Forty years, he's enjoying this life. One day he's out walking about and he sees one of the Egyptian soldiers, the Egyptian people, uh, beating and, and, and treating very badly a Jewish person, a Jewish slave. And he doesn't think anyone's watching and he loses his temper and he goes and he kills the Egyptian thinking nobody saw him. Well, people did see him. And what happened next is when he was trying to talk to his own people, they said, what are you going to do, get mad and kill us too? And of course, Pharaoh found out about it. So now Pharaoh wants to kill him. And so if you know the story, Moses runs. He runs, he leaves Egypt, he runs out to a place, a desert place called Midian, where he goes on a 40-year vacation. And as he gets there, he runs into a man named Jethro, and he goes to work for Jethro. In fact, he marries the boss's daughter. He now has a family, he's got livestock of his own, he stands to inherit the family fortune, if you will, so life's not bad. Now, admittedly, life's not in the palace, but he's not dead, and he's not being chased, He's got a family, been doing this now for 40 years. Things look pretty good, if you will. And then one day, while he's out in the desert, taking care of the sheep, he's got a moment with God. Here's the text, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, Moses stared at amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I got to go see. I got to get a closer look. So when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, if you've ever grown up in the church, or if you've grown up in the church through the course of your lifetime, you may have heard the term having a burning bush moment. If you haven't, I'll tell you what that means. A burning bush moment means that in the routine of life, just going through life, something happens where God surprises you. Something happens where you have a moment with God where you're going to change directions. You're just going, going through your day, mind your own business, if you will, and God steps into the moment, and he takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. He steps into that moment, he takes that which is common and which would be the routine, and he does something spectacular with it. And I just want you to know that's, just, that's exactly the way that God works. If you go and look at biblical history, you find that God is not one to take that which is already spectacular and use it. He uses that which is not spectacular, and he uses it. He takes that which is ordinary and uses it. He takes the routine, and he makes it into something incredible. That's exactly how God works. And in this case, any old, any old weathered desert bush will work in God's hands. Now, remember, this wasn't his first day on the job. Moses had been doing this for 40 years, which means that for 14,600 days, Moses had been being a shepherd. He's out taking care of sheep. This is not his first day on the job. 
And remember, if you will, that from that statement right there, we have a great truth to remember, and that is this. Your life is not over when sometimes you think it is. You see, Moses left the palace, and he had to have some dreams of what it would be like to live in that setting, in that situation, and now he's 40 years removed, he's in the desert, he's in the wilderness, and he's taking care of sheep. I just want you to know that your life is not over when sometimes we think that it is over. Life transitions when we, when we have these moments in our life. Life isn't over when your dreams are broken and dashed. Life is not over when the thing that you counted on, you can't count on anymore. Life is not over when you haven't reached the next thing, the next step that you thought for sure you would reach, but you didn't reach it. Oh, life is not over yet. On the 14,601st day of his 40 years, he's got a moment with God. God surprises him out in the wilderness. Now, in our story, there's something, something quite intriguing and extraordinary about this bush that's burning. One, it's a bush that's burning. That's something else. Because, you know, we assume there's no lightning happening. He's just out there, and here's this bush that's ablaze. So that would catch your attention by itself. But on top of that, this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. The bush is burning, but it's not burning up. Now, please get this next statement. The fire represents the presence of God. Don't miss that. The fire represents the fact that God is in this moment. God is at the center, if you will, of that bush. And when Moses recognizes that God's presence is there, it changes everything about his life. But as I said, but the bush isn't burning. This is the part that captures his attention. I like the fact that the bush is burning but not burning up. When uh, yeah, every spring I'll go through and, and kill weeds. I have stone beds everywhere and you know, the weeds pop up. And so you can't hardly pull them. And it's hard to get them. So I have a little blowtorch. And I mean, we're not talking like a big flame floor. We're talking a little torch. And so I go out for my two or three hours, bent over all day, going, you know, killing every, every weed one by one. I'm not paying attention. I come to one of my big evergreen bushes and I'm burnt, killing some of the weeds in the base. Of it. And all of a sudden my head is down. I'm going to look up and the whole thing's going up. God was not present in that bush. And, I mean, it's just going up. I mean, not only is it on fire, but it's being consumed. So I quickly get it out, thinking no one's going to notice. Well, my wife notices. And, you know, you hate those moments when your wife says to you, "Uh, anything happen out there in the yard? Nope. Anything happen to that bush? Lightning? Uh, No, I caught it on fire. How did you do that? There goes the story. What's interesting is everyone knows that when a bush is on fire, it's burned up. Man, I love this about God. Think about this. So God, when God uses a person and his presence is involved, he can use a person without using them up. God uses a bush without using the bush up. You see, that's why it is that for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, we will follow and serve God. We'll serve God in the church. Some of you will serve God for 20, 30, 40 years. Never get used up. Why? Because that's the way God's presence works. He can use you without using you up. And, And God's presence gets people's attention, just so you know. Fire got his attention. Doesn't fire do that? You know, if you've been to our corn roast, we have a bonfire. Biggest bonfire you'll probably ever see. Do you know every year we have to call the fire department ahead of time to tell them we've got the corn roast? Because if we don't, people call it in. Like the one year that we didn't tell them and they called it in. 
In the middle of the corn roast, here comes the fire trucks, lights and sirens, and the fire department becoming someone called it in. We actually have to tell the control tower at the airport because pilots coming in have called in this blaze that's there. So fire gets people's attention. That's the picture here. Fire got his attention. But don't forget, the fire is who? God. God's presence gets people's attention. Now, the story takes place. He sees this fire, and it causes Moses to say, I got to get closer to that. I would just say to you right now, if you have a moment where you sense God's presence is somewhere operating, you will lean in because you will go, I, I got I to see what he's doing. So that's what happens. So he leans in. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, said, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. So as Moses comes closer to take a look, God calls his name. You know what that means? It means this, that when God is involved in your life, it's personal. There's a burning bush. Anyone could have seen it, but that bush is calling his name. It becomes very, very personal. Folks, God knows you by name, and God has something that he wants you personally to do that only you can do. Specifically, your name's attached to it. I'll bet that those moments have happened to you in your life. Moments where you have realized that what was happening was a personal thing. Maybe not all of us, but I'll bet many, many of us. You've been in a worship service and a song begins to be sung. The worship thing of singing. And all of a sudden, there's a tear coming down your eye. And you say, where's that coming from? That's because God just made it personal to you. There's a moment when there's been a pastor preaching. Maybe me, maybe someone else. And there's something said. And all of a sudden, you pick your head up because you could have sworn you heard your name. You didn't. Not for my words. Not for my mouth but God called your name. See, we've had those moments. And just so you know that when we walk with God, it's gonna be a very personal moment. Those things happen. Now, what happens with Moses happens to many of us, and that is this. There's a moment where he clearly hears his name and God calls to him, and immediately that brings questions to Moses' mind. Now, one of the questions he doesn't even state, but God answers it because he knows it's there. And so Moses is being called, and he goes, well, here I am. God says, stop where you're at. Take your shoes off. You're in holy ground. And here's what it says in verse 6. God speaking says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. One of the first inherent questions is like, who's calling my name? That's the starting place. He goes, who who is this? And it's God. And then God gets into the next step of why he's calling him. And he tells us this in verse 9. And so God says this, Moses, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, of, my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So I want to look at a couple of questions he has. The first question he has is a question that we have whenever we have a sense that God is calling us to do something, something that we would not naturally do on our own, something not able to do on our own, or something that would we resist doing on our own. And the first question is, this, well, who am, I, who am I to do this? God says, I'm sending you, and his response is, me? You're sending me. So who am I 
that you would send me. And don't forget the little quick history I gave you. He says, who am I to go before Pharaoh? Don't forget, Pharaoh's going to kill him. And who am I to go and lead the people? Don't forget the people rejected him because they even said to him, you're going to kill us too. So he's got a good statement where he goes, well, who am I to do this? Basically, what he's saying is this. I'm too ordinary. I'm, I'm not qualified. Certainly, there's someone better than me. Truth is, that's always how we begin to approach things when God calls us to do something. We tend to kind of go down this road. You're always going to be too short, too tall, too skinny, too fat, too hairy, too bald, too smart, too dumb, too comfortable, or too busy. And those are all qualifications that we put on ourselves as to why it is I can't be used by God right now. Because there's something else taking place. Who am I? I got this stuff going on. That's exactly how we respond. But just so you know, all of those qualifications are qualifications that you put on yourself, not God. We're the ones that have the list of things, not God. You see, truth of it is, when God calls us, for most of us, there's never enough of us in ourselves to do the extraordinary thing that God might be asking you to do. So Moses, like us, looks at God and says, well, who am I? And God has an answer for Moses, and his answer is not quite what I would think it would be. Here's what he says in verse 12. So he says, well, who am I? And God answers, I'll be with you. Stop right there. That's not, that's not answering the question. You know, don't you just hate the political season we're now in election time? I get so tired, I mean, my, my whole life, of watching candidates, I don't care what candidate you choose, not answer the question. Isn't it amazing how they can, they can be point blank asked, answer this, and then they give an answer that has absolutely nothing to do with the question. And I just sit there thinking, so why isn't the people ask the questions? Why don't they stop and say, nope, wrong. Nope, I'm going to hold you to it. You're going to answer that question. No one does that. And I have to be honest with you, in this moment, I kind of want to say to God, wait a minute, answer the question. He says, so, you know, I mean, uh, who are you? And who am I? I should say, first of all, who am I to do this? And instead of saying a good explanation, he just simply says, I'll be with you. Now, it actually is a pretty good answer, but a bit surprising. But here's the other reason why it's surprising to me. So one, it's not quite the answer you're looking for, but the other part that throws me off is this is the perfect moment for God to build up Moses. That's what throws me off a little bit. See, here's how we think. God is asking Moses to do something which is really quite extraordinary. He's going to send him back to Egypt in front of the, the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and tell him, you got to let my people go, millions of people. It's an extraordinary thing. And Moses is feeling very ill-equipped, very unqualified. This is the perfect moment for, God to, for Moses to say, who, who am I? And for God to say, who are you? You're Moses. You're Moses. I mean, come on, man. You're Moses. I'm going to write a book about you. Billions of people are going to read it. You know what? They're going to make movies about you. And he's going to say, what's the movie? Oh, don't worry about it. It'll come. But they're going to make movies about you. You're going to be captured in all the history. You're Moses. You're the man. This is the perfect time to build him up, right? Wouldn't you? That's how we think. This is the moment. Doesn't do that at all. Kind of a surprise. Instead, he simply says, I'll be with you. Why? Because in this moment, he's reminding Moses, Moses, this is not about who you are. This is about who I am. And I will be with you. I have the ability that you don't have. I have the ability to walk you through and see you through whatever is I ask you to do, so I'll be there with you. Listen, I have no doubt that some of us here this morning, 
listening in, whether online, listening in the room, paying attention here, I have no doubt that there are some of us who are facing some very difficult life moments wondering if you're going to make it through. Now, we don't know that necessarily by looking at some of us because we cover it really well. But there are some of us who are facing some things right now where you're wondering, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I don't have much hope here. I'm here, and maybe even you're here hoping for hope. God will be with you. And that's the promise that he'll keep. That whatever it is you're facing that you think, man, I don't have this. Don't worry about it. Of course you don't have this. He does. That's why he said, I'll be with you. Now, when, when we say that, I got to remind you that God was with Moses every step of the way. Ten different times he goes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, no, God was with him in every one of those rejections. God was with him when he does lead the people out and now they're all grumbling and complaining because there's not enough food. So they say to Moses, why wouldn't you just leave us there? We'd rather be slaves than to be out here with nothing to eat. Did you have everyone turn on you? God was with him. I share this with transparency. In all my years of ministry, I never had this take place during COVID. During the whole COVID thing and trying to restart the church and, and kind of get back together where we're going to meet or not meet, you know, six feet, not six feet, uh, masks, no masks. In the town of Essex said the mask mandate, we're going to obey that or not. And every decision that I made, along with the leadership, but I was the voice of that, every single decision was beat up by somebody. And at one point in time, I found myself thinking, you know, maybe it'd just be easier just to pick one side and park there. At least I've got half of the people that will be with me and the other half don't have to be. I guess I got half. But instead we said, let's find balance. You know what balance does for you? Puts you right in the middle. But you know what? God's with you. See, that's what I want you to see here. All along the way, this isn't going according to plan, if you will. And the people are complaining. They're all turned against him. God is with you. I'm not trying to say you're all against me. Don't get that right. But some of you were, but not everybody. But anyway, um, don't worry about it. Um, When he faces a moment where he's got the Pharaoh's army coming to kill him, and he's got a Red Sea in front of him and certain death in front of him, God was with him. Listen, if God was with him, God is with you. And that's the storyline. That's the message. One writer wrote this poem. Have you come to the Red Sea place in your life where in spite of all you can do, there is no way out, there's no way back. The only way is through. You see, for many of us, we will never quite see the power of God because we'll never get to the place where we need him to see us through. Now, Moses had some incredible moments We've read them and we read them. We read the story of Moses and we go, wow. Do you know why we say wow? Because God was with him. That's the key. So now Moses had a second question. He says to God, well, who am I? And God simply says, don't worry about who you are. I'll be with you. So the reasonable question that follows next would be this. Okay, so if you're going to be with me, then who exactly are you? That's the next question. Well, then who are you? Verse 13. He says this, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's his name? And then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. So say this to the people of Israel, I am 
has sent you. I got to tell you, that's not a good answer either. Who sent you? I am. I mean, that's like as a kid growing up and your parents said, no, why? Because I said so. I mean, that's the same, that's in that same breath, because I said so. Just tell them I am. So if you're Moses, you're thinking, that's not the best of answers. So Moses is thinking like this, okay, God, I'm going to go back to these people that have been in slavery for 400 years, and they're going to have some questions, and one of those questions is going to be, who sent you? And what exactly do I say to him when they're going to say, what's his name? And God's answer is just, just tell them I am. Just tell them I am sent you. Now, I read that and I go, I don't want to go before those people with that answer. And yet, if you step back, you realize something. If you take a look in scripture, God has used that description all through the Old Testament as his name. God has made the case all through the Old Testament to say this. You want to know who I am? It's this simple. I am. Listen, do you ever wonder who God is? And without me giving you some big, you know, explanation, deep theological explanation that we could do for hours, I'm going to give you a simple statement. You know who God is? I am. Now you're going to go, well, that's really helpful. Thank you. I feel just like Moses. Well, no, stick with me. What is it you need? God says, I am the one who meets your need. What are you afraid of? I am the one who settles your fears. What makes you anxious? I'm the one who takes care of your anxiety. What are you hungry for? I'm the one who feeds you. Do you realize that whatever it is in this life that you face, fear, deal with, have to contend with, there's a simple answer as to who God is in your moment, and that is, I am. I'm it. And God has established that through the Old Testament throughout that simply says, I am. You need no other explanation because no other God says, I am. I am what? I'm everything. I'm anything that you need. I am. God's answer, just tell him, I am sent you. It's that simple. I am. So there it is. I'm the provider. I'm the courage. I'm it. So just go. Moses, don't get bogged down in trying to come up with a name that everyone's going to go, oh, that God, just tell him I am. So Moses says, okay, he's done with that one, okay? I don't know really who I am, but I know you're going to go with me, and I'm looking at you, and I'm not sure who you are, except for you're the I am, and that's enough because you're everything, but I got another question, and this is a key question we ask. He then says this, but what about them? Who's the them? And what about these people that I'm going to go and talk to? And here's the text in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. It says, what if they, they is the them, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff was Moses' reply. So the next piece comes into this. Next question, he says, well, God, but what about them? Moses is saying, Moses is thinking this. He said, I'm going to go back to them. I'm going to tell them this story. So listen, folks, gather around. I got a story to you. I was out watching my sheep one day, and this bush was on fire. And there's a voice talking out of the bush to me. And he told me to come back, to go in front of Pharaoh, and I'm going to lead you people out of Israel. And God, they're going to look at me, and they're going to say, I'm nuts. So God, what about them? You know, I got it. You and I are together. You're going to be with me, and I trust you, and you are the I am. But what about them? What about those people? What if they think I'm crazy? Now, here's where some of you get, begin to live here. 
What if they won't accept me? What if they withhold their love for me? What if they reject me? What if they just won't believe me? What if they, what if they disown me? As Moses is saying to God, God, what about them? What will they say? What will they think? What will they do? So here's my question for you. What are the they people in your life? What are the they moments in your life? What are the them in your life keeping you from that God has for you? And don't make the mistake to think that I'm just talking about people, because I'm not. The they or the them might be people. There might be things in your life where you think, God, you know God wants you to do this right thing. God has called you to do this thing. And maybe you're concerned about family or friends and what they will think, what they will do. But it's not just people. What are the people or the situations that hold you back? What fears are keeping you from the next level of following God? What things have God asked you to do that you refuse to do because something's holding you back, some doubt? What dreams are the days in life, people or situations keeping you from? What are the victories that you're not experiencing because you're caught up in the they, mo- the they moment or the them moment? What are those things? Moses' question tells us that he had already resigned himself to failure. He says this, God, I know who you are now. I am, and I'm going in. But God, those people, what about them? Well, how are we going to, I can't change them. He had already set him himself because he could see how it was going to go. He said, God, it's not going to work. Now, he's asking the same question. What if they reject me? What if they ignore me? What, What if, what if, what if? And God has an answer. And God's answer to Moses was this. So, okay, what's in your hand? Again, this doesn't sound like much of an answer. He says, what about them? And he goes, what's in your hand? Moses, forget about them. Just tell me what's in your hand. And he's holding a stick. And he goes, what do you mean what's in my hand? What's in your hand? Well, my shepherd's staff, it's a stick. I'm holding a stick, a shepherd's stick. Verse 3. God says to Moses, well, take your stick and throw it down on the ground. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, as I would as well. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. And so Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. I just I commend Moses because if God said, pick it by the tail, I would kind of go... Anybody else, anyone to step in here for me and help me grab that thing by the tail? I don't live with that world of snakes. His staff would be, the staff for the shepherd, remember, would be like a guy's wallet, like a woman's purse. I mean, for the shepherd to go to work, the shepherd had his staff. You needed nothing else you needed, you need that staff. This was the common thing. This was the thing he had in his hand every single day. And God says, throw it down, becomes a snake, pick it up, back to a stick. What is God saying here? This is so key. This is what turns transitions into turning points for us. When the question comes up, how do I get by the they's in life? How do we get past the things, the them in life that hold me back? How do I get past the fears, the doubts? How do I break through? The answer is this. You take whatever you're holding onto in your hand and you give it to God. If you're wondering how to break through the battles that you face, the answer is you take what you have in your hand and you place it in God's hand. Now, make sure you get this. For Moses in this moment, this is the lordship moment. You see, for many of us, 
We have given our lives to Jesus Christ. I've accepted Jesus Christ in my life as my Lord and my Savior, but quite honestly, that Lord part gets lost. He's my Savior. Hey, I got eternal life ready. I got heaven in front of me. Great. But there's a lordship question. There's a lordship issue. I got to tell you right now, there's a whole bunch of us There's a whole bunch of us that say, yes, I'll follow Jesus, but when it comes to the lordship of Christ, we've got things we are holding on and we're holding back from God. And this is this moment. So what do you have in your hand? And so in in that moment, it's just a stick. This is a lordship moment where he takes this one key thing, which is the symbol of his life as a shepherd, and he goes, okay, and he gives it to God. Now, what's also interesting in this, go read the rest of the story of Moses. From this point forward, Moses never refers again to his staff as his staff. Every time in the future, he refers to it as God's staff. You see, friend, when you are hoarding your money and you actually come to the place where you say, okay, God, I'm going to give you my money, you'll never refer to it as yours again. It's going to be his. You got anger? Go give it to him. Let him take your anger for you. It's not yours anymore. See, this is a beautiful moment that once it's given to him, it now belongs to him. So here's the question for you. So what do you have in your hand? Some of you would say, well, you just said it, Scott. All I have in my hand is a bunch of, in my heart's a bunch of doubt. Okay, fine. Give him your doubt. Let it be his doubt. Watch what he does with it. Some of you are thinking, Scott, you hit it there with the anger thing. That's where I'm at. I got a bunch of anger in my life. Right? Anger of what people have done, anger of what people have said, whatever it might be. Okay, give me your anger to God. God, I, Scott, I got a bunch of fear. That's what I have to give God. Okay, it's fine. He'll take it. Just give me your fear. You see, you get wrapped up in, don't make this hard, thinking I got to have something substantial. It doesn't be substantial at all. You say, God, I, I, I'll tell you what I got. I got no, no ability and I got no confidence. Okay place in God's hands. Now, there are some of you who would say, I got all the confidence in the world. I'm going to give myself to God. He's going to get a deal. Okay. Go ahead and give it to him. And just see what a good deal it really is when God takes your self-confidence and it now becomes his instead of yours. See, that's the principle. Just take what's in your hand and give it to him. You say, ask the question, does it really make a difference I mean, I'm doing pretty well in life. There'd be some of you that say, I'm doing pretty well doing things on my own. Does it really make a difference if you place it in God's hands? Well, look at Moses. He has just a stick in his hand. And when that stick was stretched out over Egypt, 10 plagues came over Egypt because of that stick in his hand. We have a stick in his hand, and when he was facing an army chasing him to kill him in a Red Sea in front of him, that stick took the sea and parted the sea. One time, Moses took that stick and he pointed it at the sun. And when he pointed that stick at the sun, remember the story? The sun stopped and stood still to give the people a victory. It's just a stick, but it's in God's hands. Folks, if you're thinking that I don't have much to give God, offer him, it doesn't matter, you're missing it. What you, whatever you place in God's hands, as little or as great it will be used incredibly if you'll just give it to him. And let me tell you what happens. What has happened, what is happening even right now in some of our lives. Right now I'm gonna describe some of us in the room. Sometimes life moments come in our lives in such a way that get us stuck. They get us stuck in our walk with God. They just, and for some time, it's a short time, others of us, it's a long time. Anger over a loss, anger with someone, someone's hurt you, gets you stuck. 
You can't get past that. You just wonder, why, why isn't God blessing my life? Why don't see God working on my life? Because you're stuck, because you got this anger about somebody. Some of us get stuck over guilt. You've got something in your life, something you've done, some mistake, and you find yourself just stuck there, kind of, I can't get past this. It just, it just freezes up. Comparison to others. Some of us have find ourselves no joy in our lives because we look at other people and say, well, look at them, but look at their life and look at mine. If only I could be them. And so you're stuck. When you allow life to get you stuck, you miss out on one of the most miraculous feelings you can ever have, the feeling that God is at work in your life. Some of us have gotten stuck. We'll get there in a moment when we wrap up. One more question Moses has for God. So he's walking through this, this battle of like, well, who am I to do this? And who are you? And he's like, what about them? Because the, 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 the them things in life, they bring us down. And then he comes to this last one, which is the big one. And he goes, okay, you got an answer for everything, God, but what about this? That's the last question. What about this? Here's the, the text in verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. It's this, this moment. I can't talk. I've never been good with words, and, and, and not even now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, well, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak, hear, don't hear, see, do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? There's the this moment. And so that you know, every single one of us have a this in our lives. Every single one of us have this thing, a thing where we find ourselves saying, how can God use this? This is, this is what's holding me back. I got an anger. I got a temper. I've got anger. I've got bitterness. I've been hurt. We have this thing in our lives. What's the this? A big this is the real problem. God, I can't, you can't, how can you use this? Moses is saying to God about this. I'm not good with words. I get tongue-tied. I'm not quick on my feet. Uh, other communicators better than me. I'm just not good at it. And Moses felt like, catch this, Moses felt like his inability to speak was a handicap in his life he couldn't get past. And it disqualified him from being used by God. Don't fool yourselves. Not all types of handicaps are physical. Because there are some of us that we feel that we've got this handicap of our past that's dragging us down. We've got a divorce in our past. I got some black mark. I got something that's happened in my life that it's holding me back. Some of us feel like we're handicapped in our lives by our family. Our family of origin has worked against us and we can't get free from that. Some of us feel like it's our education or lack of education. Maybe it's my life situation. And so we say, man, I, I just can't be used, God, because what about this, this thing? Now, God has an answer to Moses. And he says to Moses, Moses, said, God, Moses says to God, what about this? I, I don't talk good. And God has an answer for Moses, and his answer is simply this. Who gave you your mouth? I did. You say, okay, what's the significance? Please know. God is saying to Moses, I know. I know you don't talk good. I know you because I'm the one who gave you mouth, I gave you your lungs, and I gave you the brain and connected them all together. Now, this is a profound moment for you. I should say for Moses, for you. Now, please hear this. This is the moment where I think God, God had me even last night praying specifically for this moment. 
God is well aware of your shortcomings. You see, some of you have just been stuck in your walk with God, not seeing joy, not seeing victory, really not moving in a direction because your shortcomings, that, 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 that this thing in your life has somehow been holding you back. And do you know God knows that? God knows that already. God already knows your shortcomings. God already knows your failures. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you dropped the ball. He knows all of that. And now he knows that about you. Here's what he wants you to know about him. He has the power to overcome whatever that this is in your life. He's got it if you give it to him. Many of us in this church have discovered that truth. That when I take my shortcomings and my failures and I give them to God, not only does he make them clean, but he's known them already and he uses us mightily. But for others of us here, God wants you to learn that. God wants you to discover his strength to overcome. You see, friends, when God said to Moses, you can trust me because I'm the one who made you, God was saying that to you. You can trust me because I'm the one who made you and I know you. So let's wrap up. So what's the big this in your life? What's that, what's that place where you need to hear God say to you in this moment? I know. I already know. But God, I've got this going on. I know. But I got this huge doubt. I know. God, are you missing this failure moment I had? No, I didn't miss it. I saw it. I know. I've always known. Now give it to me. Now give it to me. God can do it again right now. Now's your moment. So here's how I'm going to close. What is, your, what is that thing in your life? It, you may not have one. You may have got this all settled with God, but I just my heart tells me there's some folks that have got some stuff that keeps holding them back. My heart tells me that there's someone here. Maybe it's one, maybe it's a, maybe it's a hundred. I don't know, but you feel trapped in despair. You feel maybe hopeless. Maybe in fact, you're here today hoping for hope. Because as I've been talking this morning, you've been finding yourself saying, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. That's exactly where I'm stuck. He knows, and he's waiting for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and not be looking around. And if this morning you've had one of those moments where you found yourself saying, God, you're talking to me. If you want to just raise your hand, and don't do it yet, to say, yep, that's me. I got this thing, that this that I want to give over to God. You can do that, and that's fine. But if you're willing to actually look at me in just a moment, I'm going to offer a prayer, and I actually want to be able to look at the folks while you pray. So with everyone else with your heads down, if you would say, yeah, God, I know exactly what that thing is in me, that I want to give it over to you. And if today you want to do that, you raise your hand or just pick your, raise your hand both and, and look at me at least so I can see who you are, and I'm, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. You can put your hand up and put it right down. But just raise it up and I see you. Anybody else? Everyone else is not looking around, but if you want, you can look at me because I'm going to pray for you. I want to look right at you. Anyone else? All through the room. I see it. Anyone else? Last call. Everyone else, keep your head bowed. Those who raise your hands, if you're willing, you just look at me. You can put your hand down now. Father, this morning, 
in this moment, I am confident that you can do it right now, what we need. I know it, but I want them to know it. I want you to know it. I want you to know that in this moment, God knows you already. He knows that thing that's holding you back. He knows the thing that's dragging you down. He knows the thing that occupies your mind. And in this moment, he would say, just give it to me. I know. And I've got this. And I will take this and I will make you new. And you will find that I have the ability and I have the power to overcome. And now you get to be an overcomer with me. Lord Jesus, may every person that's raised their hand, every person that's looking up here right now, may they hear your voice in their head. May they hear your, feel your hand on their shoulder as clearly as they can hear my voice right now. And I also pray for the person who didn't raise their hand, but inside both hands were raised. In this moment, might they know the, liber- li- the liberating power that you have to set them free. Lord Jesus, for each one of us, thank you. Thank you for being the God who is the overcomer. I I am so thankful to know that you already know me. Why do I waste so much time trying to hide things from you? You already know me and you already stand waiting for me just to give it over to you. May this today be a turning point moment for all of us in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you stand and I have you leave, listen to this last verse. Love the last verse. Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons, he put them on a donkey, and he headed back to the land of Egypt, and in his hand he carried what? The staff of God. All he had was that same stick, but now it was God's. And now it was different. And it will be different for you if you place it in his hands. Stand, please. Go ahead, stand up. All right, been a while, a little stiff. I got it. Take a look. So you don't have to shake hands, you know, kissing, you know, we don't even get germs. But at least turn around and say good morning to someone and then get out of here. Have a great day. God bless you.